0: This episode of Inspiration Point is brought to you by the Quests and Chaos Podcast Network and the generous patrons over on Patreon.com slash Inspiration So we'd like to give a big shout out to...
1: Garlic Bread, Eric, and
0: Spike. And at our Muse $20 level, we'd like to thank...
1: Prostaskis, Leroy, Kate, Jeremy, Jenna, Jacob, Falangor, Cheryl, A Bad Idea red dead coquette and robert hans
0: thank you for helping us bring a little inspiration out into the world and now on with the show hello everybody we're back for another episode how's it going tiana
2: hanging in there uh yeah it's uh holiday seasons they're always fun
0: yeah, well, by the time people listen to this, it's not the holiday season. That anymore. is correct. So but we are recording to,
2: this. We're recording way this. Way to like, break with,
0: the immersion.
2: Uh, <laughs> if if you all don't know that we record these at least a couple of weeks in advance to give me time to edit so that I don't die, uh, I apologize for breaking your immersion, and I hope you can forgive uh, the the constructs that we have in place so that I don't die
0: way to victim blame you know you just push it <laughs> right back on everybody else
2: no i am i am convinced that that's part of why andrew burned out as hard as he did was because you guys would record on tuesday and release on thursday and i look at that release schedule and i go that's insanity
0: yeah yeah i mean we we were good sometimes about getting things like together in the can he doesn't have the wealth of experience that that you have uh, neither of us do
2: well i mean i I didn't have the wealth of experience that I that I did when I started, so or that I do when I started. So that yeah.
0: that is experience, right? Yeah.
2: That's how that's how you get there. That's how
0: it works. <laughs> but when I apply for a job and it tells me that I need the experience before, ah, oh, never mind.
2: Ah, yeah. yes, capitalist hellscape. We could talk about that all of the time, oh. but let's not.
0: <laughs> oh my god.
2: But yeah, uh, when we're recording this, it's the day before solstice, and I am always very aware of when solstice is because I have seasonal affective disorder, and so when the longest night of the year hits, it's like, this sucks, but also, now we're gaining daylight back and it's going to get better.
0: I'm not familiar with that. Is that just like the holiday blues, basically, or like, what do you mean?
2: Uh, seasonal affective disorder is basically a, a, depressive or, a, de- a depressive disorder that happens because of a lack of sunlight, um, oh. it's, it, it's a lack of like the vitamin D that helps your brain work. Right. Uh, it's very endemic in places like Alaska, Norway, the, you know, the, the circle, the circumpolar North tends to have a lot of problems with that. A lot of people have what are called happy lights or full spectrum lights that they can sit in front of and like get some of that artificial sunlight basically. Um, Not for I don't you. know. I, I don't know why, but it's worse down here for me. Oh,
1: weird.
2: I, I I think it's because, like, my brain is like, hey, things are more normal here. I'm not in, because, like, right now, uh, it would still be dark. It's still dark in Alaska right now. The sun hasn't risen in Fairbanks.
0: Right. Um, But you're in sunny California.
2: And I think that makes it harder because I haven't, I'm not adjusted to just, it's dark and we deal with it. No, 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 I get sunlight. And then it goes away again at, like, 4 o'clock in the afternoon.
0: Oh, right. Well, I mean, you're, you're also in NorCal. Uh, whereas, like, if you're in, like, Orange County or something, it's definitely a little sunnier.
2: Yeah. And also, I mean, if, if, uh, if I don't manage to scrub it all out, careful listeners will hear rain behind me.
0: Oh, beautiful.
2: It is beautifully raining today. It's been raining the last couple of days and I love it. But also that makes it gray and the roads are a little more dangerous to traverse because no one in California can drive in the rain.
0: (laughs) Americans. You know, I really wish that the self-driving cars were further along than they are, like, they're, because they're just not at all ready yet. And And no. uh, they're, like, very dangerous. Um, but it's like, I know eventually we'll get there, and it'll be, like, really, really great to be there because the problem with driving is drivers, right? But, like... And then, unfortunately, we didn't build our country to have, you know, public um, transport, which would have circumvented the whole problem in the first place. Right. It's like when I lived in France, like the rail system was really great. And it was uh, especially good for young people and, you know, getting around cheaply. And, you know, and then here it's like, man, you got to like wait half an hour to get anywhere. It's like, how is this better? right like it's not like, like when everybody's special no one is right so exactly when everyone has a car nobody's going fast
2: yeah it's one of the things that that i would actually prefer to see our country like put money into is having um public transit that is so often and so reliable that you only need cars to go like to the weird corners so, yeah. like, you know, there, there's always, like, a high-speed rail between San Francisco and Los Angeles that takes an hour to get there or whatever. Right. And then if I want to, you know, go somewhere that's off the beaten track, then I drive.
0: Yeah. I think that would be great. Um, and a lot of a lot of bigger cities are kind of-ish, that, but not really.
2: Not really. I mean, I the, the public transit system in the Bay Area is actually really good, comparatively speaking. And it still takes, like two hours to get places that would take me, you know, in traffic, an hour to get to.
0: Yeah. Well, anyways. Yeah. The, uh, until we could unlock fast travel. <laughs> you know. Uh, our, uh, I,
2: I live for that day in our video game lives.
0: Yeah, that's right. When we just accept that it was a Matrix the whole time, and instead of, like, causing existential panic, we just go, wait, wait, wait. So that means...
2: We can hack this.
0: We can do all kinds of shenanigans, right? <laughs> like, if we're just willing to accept it.
2: Oh, that's going to be a horrible day when that happens. Because, like, <laughs> you and I would... Yeah. would, would uh, I, I would hack it for, like, fast travel and shape-shifting. But
0: there's a lot of people who would go in very different ways. Oh, 100%. 100%. So, once again, my fantasy does nothing but cause Suffering.
2: Nice. Excellent. Excellent uh, attempted segue there.
0: Which is uh, the topic at hand is (laughs) suffering. Uh, The way to start the new year off right. Um, Talk about how much pain we're in, Uh, how much pain we could be in (laughs) and why we love it. Speaking of The Matrix, do you have you wait? I forgot you. You don't see movies. Have you at least seen The Matrix?
2: I have seen The Matrix. Okay, Okay, and I've and I've seen the sequels. Which nobody cares about those. I haven't seen the most recent (laughs) sequel, but I have, I have seen, I have seen the matrix.
0: Okay. So in the matrix, uh, the first film, you may recall, uh, Morpheus explaining to Neo that the first attempt at the machines to make the false reality, uh, failed. And the reason it failed is because the machines made life, Uh, too utopian. It was not like something that people could mentally accept because it was too good. Right. And so they reintroduced the program with like an imperfect world with suffering. And then people were more accepting of that. And so uh, it added to the illusion that they're trying to create. Therefore, torture your players. Like, okay, well, (laughs) maybe maybe that's a little simplistic
2: that that that's a little bit of a jump there also like they had just come out of a war hadn't they i can't imagine that the humans going from war to utopia and they're not being some like mental gear grinding
0: yeah i mean we're never happy with anything i mean we we have the joke about the karen right <laughs> and like the the karen is upset because of usually you know minor inconveniences and and uh, things that, like, the best Karen jokes have, like, a a, a, a sprinkling of privilege sure. locked in. Like, oh, I got the, my order at Starbucks wrong or something like that, right? And, and it's like, okay, that means, what that means is life's pretty good.
2: Yeah, if that's the worst thing that happened in your day,
0: your day's pretty good. Your day is pretty good in that case, you know? And, you know, I don't want to get... Into, like, the deep philosophical or, like, uh, political realm when it comes to, like, the meaning of suffering, right? But, like, we understand that in uh, tabletop games, they play a part. Now, some GMs are sadistic, and they love to make their players suffer. I'm not really that kind. Um, I like it when my guys win. I like it when they feel good. I like it when they're happy. And I feel I like it when they feel like they're really, really strong and cool. Right. Mm -hmm. And, but I also understand that handing over too much power too easily um, actually makes them less happy in the long run. Now, from, from your perspective as a, mainly a player, but sometimes a GM, you know, what has been kind of your experience? What, you know, where has the good suffering and the bad suffering kind of happened now by good suffering? I mean, stuff that felt meaningful and useful to building up the character arc. And then like, let's say bad suffering where it was just taking L's for the sake of taking L's, right. Or, just being miserable
2: sure and i think that this is why uh spider-man is actually my favorite superhero because he gets the crap kicked out of him all of the time yeah. but that then when he when he does turn around and he figures out the thing he, he like he's like getting the, the crap kicked out of him all over the place like i watched uh both of the amazing spider-man films over the thanksgiving break and um I think one of my favorite moments with that was when he figured out what the trick was with Electro. And then, you know, Gwen helped him a lot because she's a lot smarter than he is. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) But it was very much the he got he got beaten down constantly until he figured out what the thing was. And then he was able to be clever. And that's the kind of thing that I like where it's like I want it to be. Not Dark Not Dark Souls difficult. I am not someone who enjoys From Software games. I do not like beating my, my head against a brick wall. That's not fun for me. Um, but I do like to be challenged because then I feel like I've earned the victory. Because, you know, if it's all peaks and there's no valleys, then there's no story. Not really. It's just, you know... Godzilla and his crew of cryptids going stomping through cities, and that's—I mean—that's fun to watch, but it's not a sustainable story to maintain.
0: No, it's not. And it's, speaking of which, uh, since you you brought up Godzilla uh, yesterday, I saw Godzilla minus one with my uh, with my father, my brother, and my son. And uh, what, a, what a nice
2: little boys' outing!
0: Yeah, we had a little boys' outing. The only reason my son agreed to it is because he got to have pizza from his favorite place. Because <laughs> um, the movie really wasn't for him. Like, sure, it, it's um, it's like a Godzilla movie, but this one was good. Um, I feel w- like
2: that that is a sacrilege to all Godzilla films. They're not supposed to be good. They're supposed to be a, a man <laughs> in a rubber suit straining around in a cardboard city. All
0: right? No, this is a this is like what they what they call a movie.
2: Whoa, you're going, you're going out of the range here guys. Yeah, I know,
0: I know, it's insane. Uh, it had, like, characters that you cared about, and it had, like, story and stakes, and the monster was not, like, a secret hero. He was just a big, effing monster. Yes. Right? And he was just there to wreck stuff, but the point of it wasn't him, right? the point of it was the human characters and usually what happens in these monster movies is you is the human characters feel obligatory yeah and they suck and like it's just like why do i have to look at these people let's let's go back to the monsters
2: yeah you, you don't feel any empathy with them they're not interesting
0: they're not interesting this movie godzilla minus 1 um directed by the same guy that did parasite
2: oh okay yeah
0: no it's a movie like it's actually like go watch this movie um it is uh slow, it's methodical, it's thoughtful it cares about its characters. the monster is not the centerpiece but he's not like annoyingly ignored or anything like that either right like he's there the right amount. Okay. As as opposed to like the Godzilla versus King Kong stuff that's been recent where it's like they're basically just the Avengers, but big monsters. Yeah. And it's just like super lame and I hate it and I wish it would go away and never return. Um, so these characters in this movie, they suffer a lot. And that's a big reason why you root for him. To give just a little bit of information without being spoilery, this is, like, post-World War II, mm. and the, our main character is uh, a, a kamikaze pilot. Oh. But, of okay. course, he didn't go through with it, which is why he's still alive. Yeah. But it's also why people kind of hate him, and he hates himself.
2: Sure. That, that loss of honor... The loss of honor, right.
0: And it has that found family trope that you are going to love.
2: You know I love (laughs) I am a sucker for a good found family.
0: I think most people that play D&D are. Yeah. You know, they they love that. This is why, you know, I think it's a big reason why Guardians of the Galaxy is so popular. Oh, yeah. They lean hard into that. Like, we have yet to make one Fantastic Four movie work unless you count The Incredibles. (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> you know.
2: Yeah, that's fair. I think that's also why the Fast and the Furious films are so popular, even as they get more and more fantastical. Is right, that they're like, it's all the, the core of it is uh, pretty cars go fast, implausible situations and found family. Fam D-
0: family. <laughs> they're they're, they're D D <laughs> films with cars, with, with
2: modern cars.
0: Right. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And like they're getting, yeah. I mean, I've, I haven't watched any of them, but I see the trailers and I'm like, is this the same series? Cause like yeah, they're they're treating them again, kind of like Marvel movies. Yeah. Um, where it's like there's a big insane villain and, and that represents some sort of impossible challenge. But if we switch gears in the car at the right time, it's 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 K. Do you drive a stick shift? I don't know. Oh god, I
2: no. I mean I can. I learned to drive on a stick shift. Did you? I, I just prefer not to. I, I have an automatic.
0: Yeah, I've I've actually never driven a stick shift in my yeah, life. Yeah,
2: I was gonna say, unlike unlike most millennials, I was actually, like that. That was something that my mom was very specific about. It was yeah. you have to be able to drive a stick before you can drive anything else. You can uh-huh. choose what you want to drive after that. Well, Alaska but,
0: makes sense though, right? Because I imagine it's a bit hilly,
2: especially where I grew up. I grew yeah. up in the hills around Fairbanks, and oof, the uh, right. the turn at the end of the at the bottom of the hill took out several cars every winter.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I uh, grew up in Bakersfield, uh, which is a valley. It's literally flat. You know, really no need. Hey. Although I, I knew a lot of kids my age that did, so whatever.
2: I mean, my my brother in law still prefers uh, stick shift, and I'm just yeah. like, I mean, I can drive your car if I need to. Neither of us want that.
0: I think it's somewhat relevant to the topic at hand because it's like. Some people love those extra steps and makes mm-hmm. them feel like they're more in tune with their car. And like more control. More in control, right? And like even though it's it's literally less convenient. And <laughs> um I was watching The Crown yesterday. Um yeah, this is what I do. I watch uh, Godzilla, and then I watch The Crown. Right? You
2: know what? You have a you have a balanced media diet. <laughs>
0: it's a balanced media diet. <laughs> uh, what can I say? I'm I'm a big nerd. I like historical things, um, and it's like they're talking about um, peeling back the monarchy uh, in order to make everything make sense. Well, like, okay, so in the story at this point, Tony Blair is the Um, uh, prime minister and his popularity is like soaring at an all time high. This is like, you know, 1998, 2000, something like that. Right. And, and he's uh, he's riding high. And meanwhile, the, the monarchy is very unpopular. People really hate the monarchy. A lot of people feel like it shouldn't exist anymore uh, and that sort of thing. And so, yeah, the queen asks Blair, you know, what should I do to become more popular like you? And he goes, well, there's, there's all this stupid crap you're wasting money on, right? Mm. Like, like, it would be a really good show to the people if you would cut back on these things. And like on the face of them, they sound really, really superfluous and stupid, right? Like they've got like a falconer, mm-hmm. you know. And they've got somebody who's in charge of all the swans and they've got, they've got like a poetry guy. Right. And these things and all these jobs are hereditary. Mm -hmm. Right. So they, they pass on. Well, so she's bringing them in and she's interviewing all these experts one by one. And it turns out that while what they bring isn't like modern convenience and like something that's, like immediately tradable, it's like an art form that's being preserved, right? And it's a lot of knowledge and a lot of history. And yeah, it's pomp and it's circumstance, but pomp and circumstance is also another way to say magic, right? It's the arcane of things Mm -hmm. that adds some meaning to them, right? And so ultimately, she goes, in a lot of ways, all of these are really kind of necessary, and I don't want to lose them, yeah. Because if we just become what you can get at home, we lose all of our meaning. And they the, and they reference the Catholic Church, mm. and, and the Catholic Church peeling back on a lot of um, of its sort of ar- arcanum and 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 uh, and mystery, mm-hmm. in order to be more. Su- acceptable for the modern age now it's got other problems with the catholic church obviously many
2: but, many of them but yeah many yes.
0: many problems but you know that is there something to that right and uh what does that have to do with the suffering again it's like the extra steps mm-hmm. when you're in a D combat like we can roll dice at each other but Forever. nobody likes that it's really really boring right even if you give it description like on the 50th roll, mm-hmm. you're like, please just don't even describe it anymore. You're just killing time, right? You're just destroying it. And we have to make those die rolls feel like a big deal. And we have to make them less convenient, let's mm. say.
1: Okay. Because
0: if I just say, okay, roll to hit. I hit. Okay, you dealt three damage. Okay, next turn. Right, it that doesn't feel very good. A computer could do that a lot better than we can. So, what is the part that we can do that adds that secret sauce, that adds that um, magic back into it?
2: Yeah, I think that's that's one of the reasons. Because, like, I see the the discussion going around a lot, ba- where players who have more difficulty with like role playing aspects are like, "Can't I just roll my charisma? Can't I just roll this, that, and the other?" And it's like, yes. Absolutely. Mechanically, you 100% can, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the moments that I remember the most as a player, and honestly, as a GM sitting on the other side of it, are the moments when dice aren't rolled, where it's, you know... It's the 45 minutes of red stringing between the members of our cell as we're like, oh, these are all the pieces that we have. And here's how they link together. And here's a throwback to like four seasons ago that we'd almost forgotten, but it's relevant now to bring it into this moment. Or when you have a really big, um, a really tense scene with like the ruler of the city or something. And you know that at any moment you could ask for like a persuade role and the GM would probably give it to you. But it's more rewarding to actually like have to have the conversation in the moment and see if you can change their mind without ever having to roll dice on the sheer power of your character's words and their convictions. And it's harder. There's more steps. It takes longer. But those are the moments that I remember most are the moments when it's like, we've spent all of this time building up to this and now here is the moment.
0: It's that time spent, I think, that yeah. that creates that, because, like, in a more extreme example, I could say, well, you're talking to the king, you need to convince him to let you have access to the vault in order to get that sword, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, roll persuasion. Okay, you're in. Right? It's like... It's Why so, are we even here? Yeah. Right? Like at, what's,
2: at that point, you could just set up a number, a random number generator and just do like a, a text based role play online.
0: Right. And it's like, well, you don't know anything about the king. You don't know anything about the situation. You don't really care about the sword. It, it's just, you know, plot contrivance. And I like in a lot of ways, plot is kind of the enemy of good storytelling because. Yeah, in some ways. In some ways, because it's like, oh, let's explain this and that, and let's do some exposition over here, and let's um, establish, 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 establish.
2: Well, and I also know people who are just like, I want to go after the plot to the exclusion of everything else. And I'm like, but you're losing everything that makes D&D and other TTRPGs fun, which is the interactions with within the players and with and with the world around them, which is not just plot. Sometimes it's shopping episodes. I'm sorry.
0: Sometimes it is, you know, um, what you spend your gold on is an important part of your character. But if we are just power reaching, that also doesn't feel very good. Right. So it also depends on what it's for. Like, I like to sometimes use money as the problem to be solved because so-and-so needs a new house or we need to build a school or we want to build a fortress or.
2: The fighter wants plate armor.
0: Yeah, the fighter wants plate armor. Oh my god! (laughs) Now that can be an unnecessary nuisance, but like there are also times where, yeah, it makes sense that that it can't fit everything, and we need this takes time. Yep. And time, money,
2: energy, and then you love it all the more when you have it. And
0: then you love it more when you have it.
2: Just don't make it take too
0: long. Yeah. Then it's just then it's just a bunch of L's. Right, like, if I'm level 12 and I finally got this, that's too long. <laughs> yeah, no, it's <laughs> that's, true. That's ridiculous, right? This is like a thing to happen at, like, level 5 or 6 when mm-hmm. you have your big power spike. Um, So, anyway, uh, suffering. When it comes to how we make our players suffer, um, we understand now, hopefully, that it is about the establishment of the way things are to make the victory sweeter, mm-hmm. right? You you mentioned Spider-Man. Spider-Man's a fantastic example because Spider-Man's actually not all powerful.
2: No, he has very specific skill sets.
0: And when he gets like the symbiote, you know, it's interesting, but we don't want to actually stay there very long because it makes him too strong, right?
2: and and no and no longer the, the empathetic character that we love so much.
0: Exactly. He becomes essentially a 90s superhero. Right? <laughs> like uh
2: yes, the Edge Lord.
0: The Edge Lord era where um uh, uh was his name? Todd McFarlane and uh uh the guy who can't draw feet. Um anyway, they basically ruin everything. Uh ev- everybody's got like belts and packs all over the place and Um, everyone's like super roided out and angry looking, you know, um, and it's just, it just looks awful. And we, we don't like that. Like that's, those aren't interesting characters. I mean, that's someone's
2: power fantasy, but it's not interesting for very long.
0: Right. There's a reason why you know who the X-Men are, but not the Wildcats, right? Right. You know, the, the X-Men, their, their biggest thing is they're a bunch of teenagers with teenager drama, Right like that's why we like it like the powers are just the like expression of the personality in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know. Uh well you know or, or they're ironic like beast is the smart gentle one, right? Jean Grey is uh empathetic, you know, until she's, she's not. Until she's okay, well, then she gets her <laughs> quote unquote symbiote, right? Cool. And then we ha- we have to do that obligatory storyline every time. But, you know, part of re- the reason why the Dark Phoenix worked originally when it did is because it took a really, really, really long time. And also it came from Jean Grey dying and then wanting to bring her back.
2: Yeah, literally a phoenix.
0: Literally a phoenix, right? And then, then they decided, well, we're going to make it this, this whole thing. And then the movies do it. and The movies have no idea why this why this story works and why it was important to people. Whereas the the comic books are are very um very enthralling, very good.
2: Well, and I think that that's again what we were talking. About. It's time. Like with movies, yeah. you have at max two and a half hours before people tune out. Really, most superhero films are ninety minutes to two hours, and you know you have that time to establish what the problem is and then solve it. Yeah unless it is very deliberately like this is part of a trilogy and then you can drag it out a little bit longer, but you don't have the time to spend with it. Like you do with like a hundred comic run of something.
0: Uh, End game is basically a lot of power fantasy, wish fulfillment and all that good stuff. But in order to justify it, You have to have Infinity War first, Mm -hmm. which is just L after L after L after L. constant L. (laughs) And
2: both of those were the culmination of over 10 years of storytelling.
0: Right. And so you can't jump to that either. Uh, Whereas like Rise of Skywalker was like, we're going to create all the same moments from Endgame and you're going to love it. It's like, it's not the same because you didn't really build on what had come before. You haven't earned it you haven't earned this right like so you're you're making the music swell you brought back the old people and i don't care like i mm-hmm. don't feel any of this like this doesn't work at all yeah there's lots of pr- reasons for the problems when it comes to the star wars uh, sequel trilogy and really star wars in general but like
2: Well, I mean, one of Um, the biggest problems I think is something that we can learn from as TTRPG people is that they didn't have—they didn't know what their themes were. They did not come in with a plan, and I say a plan in heavy quotes for for D and D at least because, like, you don't want to have every beat of a plan planned out. The story changes in the telling. Yeah. But I think you do want to know what your themes are, and thus what struggles your players are going to come up against, because that's going to be. Uh, that's going to be a huge part of the story that's told.
0: I think that's a very, very insightful way of looking at it. Right? It's about the themes more than it is, again, about the plot.
2: Yeah.
0: Right? Because if you want plot, J.J. Abrams got plot for you
2: all day long.
0: But we don't. We don't care about it. Right? And lens it, flares, plot and lens flares, plot and lens flares. You know, which again, I I'm like, hey. Let's put him in charge of the shots, right? I like him there. I just don't want him to write anything. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you know, like, that's fine. Um, you well, know,
2: but, but but also, like, the, the Star Wars films suffer from a, something else that I was talking to a friend about uh, recently. There was no one that was constraining them. And I think that's something that all art needs, including D&D stories. There needs to be constraints on the story there needs to be something for the storytellers to push against like mm-hmm. the lord of the rings trilogy is absolutely brilliant the studio did not believe in them and they mm-hmm. had all kinds of things they were pushing against to make that and that's part of why it's so brilliant whereas the hobbit films had no constraints and are terrible <laughs> <laughs> There you go. But also, there, like, yeah. the the original trilogy of uh, Star Wars is absolutely genius in a lot of ways. And, I mean, right. it's pulpy and campy. It's late 70s, early 80s. But for its
0: time, for it's, its time, it was.
2: But they had so many constraints to go up against because they're like, what is this story that you are trying to tell? It had never been done before. And they were pushing against that constantly. And then George Lucas had an amazing editor and his wife to actually, like, save the problems.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But then you you go into like the prequel trilogy, and it's like have all of the money to tell the story that, that you want, and
0: no one told George Lucas no. Right? Yeah, they couldn't. They couldn't be like, hey, uh, this is boring. Yeah, like, like this is not interesting.
2: So so having so having those constraints to push against makes a story mean something because it's like, hey, you can't just run wild and set everything on fire. There are consequences.
0: Right. It's a it's a labor of love, right? And so you want to feel that passion behind the work. And we can kind of tell when it's there and when it's not there. It's like it's like there's a secret ingredient involved.
2: What? Can't what? imagine.
0: Can't imagine, right? Um the the guy that got uh this Godzilla movie, um I'm so sorry I can't remember his name, but he um he had a limited budget. Yep. And when it came to hitting the wall of his budget, he said, well, let's make our work. Yeah. You know, he didn't go back to the studio and and ask for more. He just was like, well, let's work with it.
2: Yeah, uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. I was just reading a a column about uh, A24 and the stuff that they're doing, and a big part of their successes is that they're telling these incredible stories, like everything, everywhere, all at once, on like a $12 million budget, which sounds like an incredible amount of money to me. But so many budgets are like a hundred to 200 million dollars and then they don't make money back.
0: Yeah.
2: Absolutely. So yeah working within the constraints of a tiny budget, you have to be more creative as you think about well how do I want to get this across? What are what are the shots that are the most important that I'm going to put the money into? And we, we've seen this again and
0: again. It was true for uh, back to the future. it was true for Ghostbusters um it's true for snow white right um you know uh, other things aside right like those animators you know oh, say the animators you,
2: were incredible i will say what
0: say what you want about walt disney right whatever but whatever. when it but when it comes to those guys that were sketching all those things out those guys killed themselves on those on those tables you know and they de- and they deserve their glory
2: Man, speaking speaking of an art form that's basically lost these days, hand-drawn animation. I'm so sad that that's gone. And that's not
0: as much of a thing anymore. Um, You need to watch Klaus. Okay. Um, Hey, it's the season even. It is the season. And I'm sure it's back on Netflix. If it ever left, it's probably the best thing that Netflix ever made.
2: Ooh, high praise.
0: Yeah, very high praise. I think it's perfect. I think it's basically a perfect movie. Okay. Um,
2: I may even watch that tonight.
0: Klaus is 2D animated, Ooh. but it does have some digital assistance.
2: That's fine.
0: Uh, when it comes to the lighting and shading.
2: I'm fine with that.
0: <laughs> and they basically wrote a program to do it, and then they went in by hand to tweak. That's incredible. And But the whole thing is 2D animated, and it's the best dang Christmas movie you've ever seen. And it's incredible, and it's got J.K. Simmons. So I mean,
2: ah, speaking of Spider Man,
0: <laughs> speaking of Spider Man, exactly. Good for you to know who J.K. Simmons is. <laughs> like you know,
2: he has I, a very distinct voice.
0: I feel like I'm we're, we're going through your character arc of like knowing movie things. Um, <laughs>
2: Slowly but surely, I am growing. Like <laughs> I am developing that. That is like we we talked about New Year's resolutions. I am going to try to get back on the watch a movie a week thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Work on your Captain America list. Yep. Um, I want to come back to like practical application of this concept when it comes to um, running a game. It's fun to let players win, and sometimes they need to get a W,
1: mm-hmm. for sure.
0: Um, in the very beginning, I think it's really important to establish the characters with a strong W. Um, and then I think they need to get a big L after that. Yeah. And it was like you were saying before with peaks and valleys. So a lot of it is just rhythm and understanding. Like if you get, if you've got two W's, there's gotta be an L next, right? Mm -hmm. It's gotta be coming. Um, But same thing. Like we get two L's, let's get a W. Um, Let's make sure that we're spacing these things out. Right. So it doesn't feel like the story is out of your control because if If you feel like the GM has pre-planned for you to lose, that is incredibly frustrating. Yeah. Uh, If you feel like you're going to win no matter how stupid you are, um, that's very immersion-breaking. Yeah. Right? And so neither of those really work.
2: Well, and I think that's why I don't necessarily like the binary of the W's and the L's as far as this particular concept goes. Um, I think I would set it up more as like, there's the made to win encounters and the made to lose encounters. And I, I mean, my, my, the, the first thing that springs to mind with a made to lose encounter was the first time we encountered Tiamat mm-hmm. uh, in, in Wrath of the Scorn, where it was like, you, you told us even there was a way we could have won, but it was very, very, very unlikely. And right. that was an L that was something that we needed to progress Bent the story. And that's fine. But I think in general, um, as far as like practical application it's not so much you're going to walk into a situation being like my players are going to lose this it's walking into a situation and being like their particular sets of skills and backgrounds and uh, abilities make this encounter very easy for them but conversely like everything that is built up to this point is making this scene something that they're going to have to struggle against. It's something that they're going to have to push through. And maybe they'll surprise me and come up with something that is just completely out of left field. But like, for example, um, if they're walking into a town after uh, they've been, you know, burning all of the fields to the ground, the people there are not going to like them very much and you could possibly come up with a with a way to like get them on your side and explain what happened or you know persuade the right people or threaten the right people in order to get what you want out of that town but it's going to be a struggle. It's not going to be as easy as walk in spend gold. So it's not a made to lose encounter or even necessarily like an, an encounter at all, really. But it is something in the world that is like, you have to push against this. You're going to have to struggle.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. And that is one way I would have changed that encounter where it, there needed to be a stake other than victory, you know, where it would be like we died, but we saved the kids or we saved sure. the town. You know, we 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 made that sacrifice or... You know, I think of uh, every time Superman's in a battle, he has to win with the constraint of not obliterating the city around him. Because sure. he's capable of winning every fight very quickly. But at what cost? But at what cost? If he expends the energy needed, you know, he can topple a building with a single punch, mm-hmm. right? And that's actually a problem for him in, in good storytelling. To To use the other Superman, Goku, as an example... Like, the first thing he tries to do is lure his opponent away from um, population centers. Yeah. So that he can then cut loose and he can have fun blowing up rocks. And also so the animators don't have to draw buildings.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so many things happen because of being like, do we we want to do all of this intricate detail? No? Okay, what is the story reason for it not to happen?
0: Absolutely. The, The entire planet of Namek was just like... A, a, an animator's dream or it's like, okay, <laughs> everything's just plateaus and like truffula trees and that's it. There's there's no other biomes.
2: <laughs> I would argue, though, that in the Tiamat fight, there was, there was a stake even though we didn't know it. Because at the time, we walked into the fight thinking that we were fighting Aphrodite. Right. We didn't know that we were dealing with Tiamat. We didn't right. know, like, so I think the stake there, even though we didn't know it was finding out what the real problem was. And mm-hmm. in that, we succeeded. Like, we died, yeah. but we found out what the real problem was, and then we could deal with it.
0: Yes. And then we got to finally get into your arc with your dead girlfriend.
2: Yeah.
0: And I was like, because like for weeks, I was like, how do I get this chick in here? Um, <laughs> and I would just, every now and then I go out, and, and I, I open up Roll 20, and I read everybody's, like, backstories again and again and again and again and i try to think like what did i forget about what am i missing Mm. and like i would keep coming to that and i go okay so we have to go to the underworld sometime how are we going to get there right and the first time i was going to have you guys go there you didn't go there and uh because there was just literally a walkway from a different chamber and you guys were like, "That looks dangerous." Yeah, <laughs> and then, not not so interested. <laughs> I was like, "Okay, fine." Uh,
2: so for the so for those who don't know, Zeph, my Arakkoa ranger rogue, uh, I built her as basic because we were in Greek fantasy. I basically yeah. built her as Orpheus, where uh, her her human girlfriend uh, was killed by things that dragons were doing, and she figured out a way to get down into the underworld and make her case before Hades. And he said, all right, maybe, but there's this boar that's bothering people in Elysium. Can you go uh, kill it? And it was, it was a made to lose fight for her and she got yeeted back out. So she had the haunted one background and was a fey wanderer ranger uh, because of the, of the particular set of circumstances. She had a a darkness about her after coming back from the underworld and losing uh, her
0: girlfriend well, and the the real difficulty for me with Seth was this is someone who combat wise is incredibly competent, and, <laughs> and this this person is like basically flying artillery, right? Like she,
2: w- she was made to be the perfect hunter, but all you had to do was was put a dragon up there, and suddenly she's <laughs> she's spending all of her turns running.
0: Yeah, but um, what was more effective than just saying aha, I can counter your build? is being like well what about your girlfriend what about these people what about mm-hmm. the people you care about they're here on the ground yeah right like so the best way to threaten zeph was to f- threaten skioris
2: yeah getting it, get, get it at skioris <laughs> was the fastest way to have zeph be angry and right. also to put herself at more risk
0: <laughs> yeah and then that ended up being the the actual needed relationship that was precious and a- allowing uh, what's her name the ghost to go bye-bye. Mhm. And to Yeah,
2: uh, Anastasia needed to actually pass on.
0: Right, right. Anastasia. Um so ultimately I was I was pleased with how that campaign turned out, but Me too. There was there was definitely a lot of times where you guys kicked in doors and you took names and it was great. And there were a lot of times you guys took some some bad hits. Mhm. And You know, the players had various reactions to these situations. And so that's something you're always, like, trying to be careful about when you're a GM is like, okay, I want to apply uh, some pressure on the pain point here, but I also don't want my players to feel like I hate them or I'm vindictive or want revenge or, you know, whatever. Like, I want them to still trust me when I apply here, right? And so... You're right, it's not just about W and L, it's W with a cost, it's L with a win, Yeah. right? You know, there's there's stuff in there. Were you able to save somebody else? Were you able to take on some suffering voluntarily for another person? Um, Were you able to, uh, like, you won, but at what cost? Right, these are the more dramatic questions that provide weight and uh, meaning to what we're doing. And you want to hate your villain, right? You want your villain to be somebody you can't wait to punch. Oh yeah. And, and so, like, if you don't build up your villain to do that, it's uh, well, it's a it's a big missed opportunity. And this is something that Curse of Strahd does very well, where they're like, you are going to hate this guy, you're going to hate him real bad, right? And uh, so that, that way, by the time you get to him.
2: You can't wait to punch him in the face. You're
0: right. You're chomping at the bit, right? So have there been some times where your suffering as a player was more frustrating than it was fulfilling?
2: I think the times when I feel most frustrated as a player in a way that is not interesting I think that the best example that I can pull from is Blood and Thunder, to be honest, um, because there was the bit where we were going on the quest to retrieve the chalice or whatever it was, and I say I say whatever it was specifically because it, it took so long and there were so many steps
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: that by the time that we got to it, I had almost forgotten why we were doing the thing that we were doing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Because there were I mean, there were a lot of interesting things along the way, but there were also a lot of like there like there there was a town that was underneath a huge gelatinous cube. That was cool. And it also made for some interesting character moments. But it was also like, you know, what was the point?
0: Another thing to do on the way to do the thing that we're trying to do.
2: Yeah, and I mean, getting getting like basically the Holy Grail should not be easy. Like, there's whole no, stories no, sure. about yeah, things yeah. like that. But I think there needs to be a balance between, you know, you go on one quest and you have the thing, to, you have done so many side things that you don't remember what you don't what, remember it was. what it was for exactly. And I think and, that we and that's also
0: you know you have to consider IRL time.
2: Yeah. In between there. That was like three months of IRL time right. that we spent doing that.
0: right. It was It was a lot of time. because um, you're only playing like two or three times a, a month anyway.
2: Exactly. So right. I think that that was one of the biggest frustrations for me was when when something was so convoluted that I found it hard to care anymore, where it was mm-hmm. like I just I just want to get this over with. And get back to uh, the swoop so so that we can actually like do the things that we're interested in again.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and I think as a as a GM myself, I think I sometimes struggle with thing like feeling like I have to check all my boxes as opposed to like, okay, what can realistically get cut here? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and killing your darlings, as they say.
2: It's so hard because, like, yeah. there's so much, like, cool lore that you want to do or the great places that you want the, the players to see or the NPCs
1: that you want them to meet. And there are right. really
2: great things along the way, but at what cost? Like, there does need to be a point where you kill your darlings.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I hate it when, as a GM, I feel like my players don't know why they're where they are other than they like me. And they want me to be happy, and so they will go fight the thing because I told them to, Mm -hmm. right? But I I don't want that. That's just pity, right? (laughs) Like I I don't need your pity. I don't want it, right? Like, it's better than you going, "Uh, this sucks. I'm done, right? Like, I definitely don't want that, but like- Sometimes maybe you got to hear it. I don't know. Yeah,
2: there's an honesty to that. That's like, you know, maybe maybe uh, what I'm doing does kind of suck. And honestly, I like I as a GM want to hear that before it gets to the point of this sucks, I'm done. I, I want to hear this sucks early enough that I'm like, okay, cool. Let's course correct.
0: Let's course correct. Right. Instead of, well, we're coming into the end of Act 3. And right. And... <laughs> At this point, I'm kind of bought in.
2: Yeah, either you finish it or we stop and this becomes a one in a string of games that never gets finished. That
0: never gets finished, yeah. Um, This was a problem I was running into just recently, actually, um, where I was doing Storm King's Thunder again. hmm But I was doing it for students, and I had better ideas for the overall plot. But I'll be honest, it wasn't something I was, like, thinking about during the week. You know, it was okay, I like Storm King's Thunder because I've done it before mm-hmm. and because a lot of it is just rolling tables. Sure. And so it fills time as a and d game without me having to expend a lot of mental energy, but that also meant that the game kind of sucked, you know? Like, I don't know, the, the, I don't know, maybe the players were happy, but I wasn't that happy, you know? And like, that's I important
2: can't... too. You are also a player at the table.
0: Absolutely. And I was like, this is boring. I don't like this. Um, my, my players' backstories, you know, are barely coming up. Mm. Everything's so far away from each other that it takes forever to get there.
2: <sighs> I you hate know? that. I, that's something that I have started, like, I, I have started just saying in Phandelver and below, no miles, only vibes. I, <laughs> it is going to take as long as it feels narratively interesting, interesting to
0: get there. Interesting to get there, right, yeah.
2: And I mean, I try not to do the Game of Thrones thing. Like, if I have established that something is a long way away and it's hard to get to, then it's going to stay a long way away and hard to get to. Instead of um, magic
0: teleporting. At instead the end of magic
2: of... teleporting. But also, like, yeah. I'm not going to send them five days out of their way to go and see a Banshee when, spoiler alert, she doesn't even have the magic book that they're sent there for.
0: Right, yeah. Yeah, um there's and there's a lot of just meandering and nonsense that's already written into mm-hmm. stuff like Storm King's Thunder, much of which I I did spare you guys and and the new group. <laughs> and yet there was still so much um fat just in between. You know, of getting from from point to point. Um and I was just like, man, this is just not working. But a big, th- probably the biggest problem there was more of a passion question than than anything else. I just wasn't into it. Uh, whereas uh, this next time, I'm looking at doing a Runeterra game, like I said before. Yeah. Uh, that's in the League of Legends universe, and I think that that will be more exciting for me at the very least, and and definitely one of my players.
2: And, and if that passion is there, it's going to come through. Like if people are kind of indifferent about the setting, it, like if, if some people are indifferent about the setting and then you're really into it uh, and you have at least one other person who's really into it, man, that'll drag the rest of them in.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, I think the 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 quick and dirty version of this advice is basically like making sure that when they lose that there is something to win within it Mm -hmm. that, that is something where it can be almost their choice. And then when you win, there's probably a cost involved. Um, That way every, everything is, is paying a price to get what you want. Mm -hmm. Um, Because uh, so my, my youngest we were, we were taking her out Christmas shopping. I don't know if I already told you the story. I don't think so. And uh, she really, really wanted to pay with her own money, right? And so she opens up her little like purse. Her purse, of course, has like sequins and a face, and it's like an animal or something. It's fuzzy, and she opens this things up, this thing up, and she's got like, you know, like three bucks It's some some change, you know. And she's like, that should cover it, right? You know, Just like.
2: oh, to be that innocent of money again.
0: Uh, luckily, the lady at the checkout was like she was like, I get what's going on here. Like she was this was not her first rodeo. Right. And so she was like, OK. And she's explaining all everything to her. Was like, can you make this this change? Like, what's this much? Uh, what's this dime? What is that? You know, and like helping her learn.
1: Oh,
2: that's so sweet.
0: And then low-key, I'm, like, swiping my card right in the yep. quarter to make sure we can actually pay for all of these things. <laughs> but, you know, she wanted to make that sacrifice. She wanted to feel like she was doing it, mm-hmm. like she was the one making it happen, right? And it's like we don't like free things in a way. You know, when it comes to the magic sword – you definitely don't want to just hear the choir of angels walk into the grove and there it is,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, sticking in the stump, right? You want to beat the bad guy. You want to climb the mountain. You want to go through the ritual. You want to go through all of the pain uh, to to make that feeling of retrieving it not just relieving and good, but also cathartic. Mm-hmm. Like it was all for something. That's and that's kind of uh, not to not to get too big, but you know, it's, it's kind of the stuff of life. Yeah, you know, um, we work so that we can survive, but we also work because it sucks, and that's really good for us, honestly. Because when we take that vacation, we we want to like it. hmm
2: Um, I mean, as you said before we started uh, re- uh, recording, I was I think it was before we started recording, we we work. So, because, I mean, we have to, but also then when, you, when you're when you able to spend three or four hours a night playing video games, man, you get to relax and enjoy it. You've earned that.
0: You don't feel that guilt weighing yeah. over your head of like, you know, you got X, Y, and Z to do.
2: And it's like, yeah, I do have X, Y, and Z to do, but also I've earned this moment of rest, which is, I mean, on the human level, that's dumb. We shouldn't have to earn rest but the point remains
0: but the point remains like well i mean you know part of it is cultural upbringing but i think it also has to do with like survival instinct mm-hmm. you know where it's like we're used to having to suffer for our food okay right? yeah. and to get that food or whatever it is that we need to get fills our brain with happy drug right
2: yeah so so i think that the that the advice that i would add on to your to your quick and dirty advice is um no, and this is a constant conversation between GMs and players is what do the players want, and what are they willing to give up to get it?
0: Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah.
2: and if you if you know that as if you, this, you being the GM and the player, because I know that one of my biggest problems when I'm creating player characters is I don't necessarily have a goal. I don't necessarily know what I want, and I should. That is something that makes me a better player. Is having something that I, as that person, am constantly working toward. Um, and if if you if you know that, then you can be like, okay, you know, what is Hakoi willing to do in order to get that piece of the God Sword that they want to to put that God Sword back together? Like, what kind of sacrifices are they willing to make? What what cost is too high?
0: Right. And, like, where are we going to take this on the chin instead of taking the easy way out? hmm Yeah. Because when you guys get that sword, and you're probably going to get the sword, then, yeah, that better mean something.
2: It's it's going to be a real big, like, turning point in the story because it's, it's a god sword. Of course it's going to be a turning point in the story. It has to be.
0: Yep. Also paladins are already op so making them op even further that is that is my
2: job as the forge cleric is to make the paladin terrifying
0: (laughs) that's right (laughs) hey there's a lot of joy in being a support you know oh yeah i i actually
2: prefer it in a lot of ways because like i have had stories where because i'm I'm a very uh, proactive player in a lot of ways. I tend to end up taking the lead on a lot of things. And I really love being able to sit back and support other people in their stories. That's a lot of fun for me.
0: Especially a player who isn't normally that way, Mm -hmm. but could be.
2: But could be. And there's so much potential there and you can just taste it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, Kate, you're in for it.
2: Yeah! (laughs)
0: <laughs> you are going to be loved and successful
2: <laughs> and supported and we're going to help you tell <laughs> a really amazing story. I can just like see her blushing over
0: this. Right, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All righty. Well, on that note, I think we should uh wrap it up here. Uh any final thoughts?
2: Um love it, love your scenes. Love your players, love your scenes. Dive deep, have fun. Nice. And always remember the secret ingredient, which is love.
0: Doll. Doll.
2: But yeah, that seems like a good place to wrap it up for this particular episode. So thank you all so much for joining us this week. We hope that uh, you've taken a couple of thoughts from this to take into your own games. Uh, We'd love to hear about anything that you are playing with that... Uh, maybe add some more depth to this particular conversation. Come hang out with us in the Discord. It's a great place to hang out. But until next time, stay inspired. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Inspiration Point. If you'd like to support what we do, go and check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash inspiration point. If you can't support us directly, that's okay. You can also help support us by telling people about the podcast. A little inspiration goes a long way.
0: Inspiration Point is edited and produced by Tiana Hansen and is distributed by Quest and Chaos. If you like what you hear with us, give Quest and Chaos YouTube or Twitch channels a visit. They play Dungeons & Dragons on a weekly basis and have a bunch of campaigns of Call of Cthulhu, D&D, and board game playthroughs archived on their YouTube.
1: Join us next week for more inspiration.